0: Well, we're hearing lots about Omnichannel being the future of everything and how everyone's doing it, but it's not always the case, is it? Few are doing it and are certainly doing it well. Today, we're going deep on an Omnichannel media campaign with NIB's media marketing manager, Mitch Lehman, that used Val Morgan Outdoors' programmatic platform to execute multiple creative messages across the VMO network based on location, context, and the target consumer group. Young types... That are not necessarily into health insurance. An alliance of publishers, media agencies, DSPs and brands working together ended up doing such a good job that Mediacom's National Head of Investment, Nick Thomas, says NIB's effort is a new industry benchmark. That's somewhat generous of Nick, given he nor Mediacom had anything to do with this project. Nick is just simply impressed with the planning and execution. But we do have Katie Rooney from Essence Media, who did work on the NIB campaign, along with Andrew Gilbert, Head of Platform Strategy for Yahoo AdTech ANZ, and Paul Butler, Managing Director at VMO. So let's get to this omni-channel thing, starting, of course, with the media brief and the broader strategic brand rationale and remit from NIB. Mitch Lehman, welcome to you first. Before we talk dynamic media, programmatic, segmented, creative, and omni-channel planning, I think I've covered some of the hottest industry buzzwords in one swoop. Thanks for that maybe first run through the strategic intent for NIB with this campaign. You were hoping to raise awareness for the brand among a somewhat disinterested younger set. Sounds like me, very young, but probably not disinterested. I do have health insurance, Mitch, but welcome. And just give us the thinking behind this, because it was a bit new for NIB what you got up to here.
1: Thank you. Yes. So for us, we went into this planning period knowing that we were going to be Launching a new brand platform. So, NIB is on a bit of a journey to make a shift as a passive payer of health insurance to a more proactive health partner. So, for us, you know, the brief really centered around finding meaningful ways with our media mix to connect with people in their everyday life. We already operate in a number of above the line and digital channels. And so, programmatic, out of home was very new at the time. We were super excited about the opportunities that it created in terms of, you know, giving us the chance to be more contextual and really intercepting those moments in people's everyday lives to be able to introduce encouraging messaging whether that's you know encouraging people to make a healthier choice around a supermarket placement or letting them know how far the next bus stop is when they reach one or even you know being present in a gym environment and egging them on to you know to keep going with with their workout so it really gave us flexibility but also the chance to be more contextual and support our you know the rest of the media plan that we had in place. Let's just get a little bit more of a sense
0: on that change in your brand platform Mitch. You talk about being moving from a passive player to a proactive health partner. What's that about? Why are you doing that and what's the intent? What do you hope to achieve out of this? It's really
1: about being able to be a more positive force in people's lives. So rather than, you know, a traditional health insurer where, you know, we basically start our interaction with somebody at the point that they're already sick, how can we better partner with people to prevent those things from happening to them. So there's obviously a number of different factors that lead to different conditions that people can have throughout their life. We're looking to play a more proactive role in helping people live a better life. So that's really the foundations for the shift for us. And, you know, the new brand repositioning was really about introducing our intentions and really starting to walk the walk, I guess, in terms of playing that role. And this was about sort of
0: recalcitrant young people, right, that sort of may not be interested in health insurance. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, definitely. Look, from a participation perspective, we do see that the younger demographics aren't engaging with health insurance or taking out health insurance like the older cohort is. They are still interested in health, but it might mean different things to them. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, taking out hospital cover. It could mean going to the gym. It could mean, you know, seeking out a quit smoking program or something to improve their mental health. And so, underneath this brand platform there will be and already are a selection of tools and services that are designed to cater to those individual health needs because that's really what it comes down to is that health is individual everybody's needs are different so nibs you know using all of the tools available to us all of our network partners and providers to be able to pull together an offering to support people in putting their health first
0: Well, I think at least on this panel, Katie's in the perfect uh, target market for that. But I think Paul, Andrew and Nick are way too old. So at least we've got one person on the panel that your positioning is resonating with, Mitch, and you, of course, as well. So listen, just with that as a backdrop, talk us through how and why and what you landed on with your media execution. It was a bit different for NMB. You've sort of mentioned that. Started the process, what, sometime
1: mid last year, I think. And why did this come on your radar? Definitely was a bit different to what we've been doing. I mean, we've always played in out of home and, you know, I think we pretty much have a presence across, you know, every media channel that there is. I think the exciting thing for us with the opportunity to dip into programmatic out of home was really that greater sense of flexibility and control, which is something that really underpins our digital approach to performance media. So it was being able to extend that to mass reaching channels. But also, as I said before, The ability to be more contextual and relevant to people at key moments throughout their day so when we started the process we were obviously aware that programmatic out of home you know was going to be available during that period so it was something that we expressed to essence that we were you know certainly open to seeing how that could come to life for us and how it could help us to sort of you know bring this new campaign into market you mentioned performance but this was a brand campaign correct it is, yes, certainly. So, you know, there's always going to be the performance layer there for us and that's, you know, most of our digital channels. But we are looking to, with this campaign, talk to people and reintroduce this new platform. So rather than focusing on advertising that talks to a joining offer, it's more about, you know, who's NIB is a brand and what we can offer people. So definitely, you know, I think the biggest opportunity was just being able to bring it into the digital space and have that control and flexibility, the same way we do with performance channels, but definitely still talking at a brand level.
0: Got it, Cody. I want to get to the strategy how Essence got to this whole initiative in a sec. But are you a disinterested young health insurance buyer, or where do you sit in this <laughs> grand consumer scheme?
2: No, I have health insurance. I always have. It's been something that <laughs> my mum's always drilled into me. Go, mum.
0: So, so yeah, you're, yeah, you're you're not you're not a target. Then you're you're convinced. <laughs> yeah. So, But it does go to this broader strategic intent from NIB and what you've done with this omni-channel program, Katie. So just talk us through with essence what the thinking was about why you landed here with this kind of approach.
2: Yeah, for sure. So we got briefed at the end of last year on the brand relaunch and the repositioning, and for us it was such an exciting challenge, but it was also a big one that we really needed to make sure we landed. At the end of the day, you kind of only have one chance to do it right, and we wanted to make sure we did. We have our performance and our conversion driving channels down pat we have really strong performance in that area so we really wanted to look at that awareness layer and what we could do to play differently in that space and from what Mitch has said you know we can kind of identify three big opportunities that we had so the first job that we really had to do was we needed to land that new branding and that positioning so it wasn't just about launching this health first messaging it was about showing people how we were health first so there was one thing to just have the big brand campaign but if we didn't have this tactical layer where we could show our audience how they could put their health first and really engage in their lifestyle. We weren't going to be able to land this brand messaging. We also needed to reach new audiences. So this was a big one for us. Previously, we kind of spoke to that 45% of the population who already had health insurance. And now we were talking to people who You know, didn't have health insurance, weren't interested in it, and we needed to think about the best way to speak to them because it was a completely new challenge for us. And then, as well as that, we needed to apply that layer of data-driven targeting to it. So when you look at our lower funnel activity, so acquisition, especially, we have so many layers of data on it that we are so sure who we're going after, and it means that we're super efficient in how we're spending. Now, we were looking at this brand relaunch with a decent budget, but we also wanted to ensure efficiency, so we needed to. make sure that we had that brand layer, but it was targeting the right people and we weren't spraying and praying. It wasn't really going to work for this. And that's how we landed in this programmatic digital out of home world and this omni-channel world. So, you know, there's always going to be that position for the direct IOs. And we did have that. We had our large format brand running across all of out of home, but then we use this programmatic digital to be super tactical and really speak to our audience and show them exactly how they could put their health first. So as Mitch touched on earlier, you know, when we worked with VMO and the formats they had, we could be really tactical in our creative messaging and we saw a great opportunity there. So we showed our audience at the gym, at the supermarket, how they can put their health first and we made it super relevant Alongside that, when we can overlay these audience targeting opportunities that we have with programmatic digital out-of-home, that's where we saw kind of the magic happen. So, you know, we weren't running these adverts at all times in terms of the shopping centres. We were looking at when our audience is shopping. So this younger audience, this audience that doesn't have health insurance, that's when we can start to put those ads outside of the shopping centres at those key moments of conversion. So it really ended up being that opportunity, the combination of being able to be flexible with the creative the new audiences and being able to overlay that data that led us to this omni-channel approach.
0: I want to get to the creative a little bit later because there was a sort of what 20 or so message, different messages yeah. you were using so we'll get to that and what they were saying and Mitch might want to talk to how it went with the creative partners as well but Andrew Gilbert where did Yahoo come in on this and why did the sort of the VMO pragmatic play this role versus alternatives because you've got plenty of options out there.
3: Just first off, I get so pumped up when I hear the level of detail and strategy that's gone into what the likes of NIB's done here. So it's just really awesome to be able to see people trying to take advantage of the capabilities that are coming into market and things like programmatic out of home. You know, this is the first time that a physical world medium is really connected to the online world. And that means that all of these capabilities that we've had from a programmatic point of view for so long, we have the ability to apply it into the programmatic out of home lens now as well. So where Yahoo's come into this is that for the last two to three years, we've been educating brands and agencies on potential strategies here for a long, time and and trying to kind of consult and bring them on the journey about how they can use data how they can change their potential marketing strategies to talk to the agility that Mitch was talking about earlier so from our point of view it's really about an omni-channel lens on everything and where does out of home from a programmatic point of view fit into that and the awesome thing here is that with every single channel we can create considerably consistent audience approaches like what Katie was talking there. And then we can tie together the consumer journey throughout that overall process to make sure that every single time that NIB is having a conversation with their actual customer, we are nurturing them along that journey to the end point being an actual sign up to any of the actual product set that they have. So our point of view here is that we're trying to empower any of the brands and agencies that work with us. And that's what we've been trying to do with NIB here. The way that VMO fits into this is that they have a really, really unique ability to understand their own network and the data that can be used for targeting and placements within there. So everything that Katie and Mitch were talking about before about you know, creative messages, contextual relevancy, all of these different things is heavily empowered by the knowledge of what VMO has with their own network, but also the different data points that we can build to target across time of day and any of the locations in that network as well.
0: Katie, can I ask, you talked earlier about having sort of bringing in some additional audience and target segment data layers. Was it all VMO audience data? Or did you bring your own overlays onto that as well? What was the mix there?
2: We were working very closely with Yahoo team, so Andrew's team over at Yahoo. They honestly were a lifesaver across this process. So it was a combination of, you know, what we could access through our our home partner, so through VMO, and then also what we could access from the DSP.
0: Okay. And so what was that? So what were those additional audience? What did VMO bring in terms of audience? And what did Yahoo bring in terms of additional layers, either Katie or Andrew or even Paul on that?
3: Paul I'll throw to you for a second on this as well but it's VMO has a really unique understanding of their own supply and we lean on VMO to help understand our own targeting approaches and how they can be refined within any of these processes and the good thing about this is when we talk about programmatic out of home there are two different ways that you can look at it you've got your location data at a device ID level and that helps you understand movement patterns and you can infer things off the back of that you know as an example here we're talking talking about health conscious young people, if someone had been to a fitness first two or three times a week, we could almost start to bucket them into a segment that says these are health conscious people. So that's the kind of stuff that we can pull into these overall strategies. But on the opposite side of this, because it's connected to online, there's a whole ton of online behavioral information that we can apply from a targeting point of view as well. But we leaned on the VMO guys to try and help build out the overall strategy as well. So I'll chuck to you, Paul.
4: Yeah, sure. Thanks, mate. Yeah, from a VMO perspective, we've always had a third-party data platform that really does help inform the planning process. So Dart 360 is our planning platform, which comprises of first-party data, which is our facial analytics data being Dart, as well as some third-party data partnerships that, you know, allow us to understand and tie down to a postcode level specific audience segments. So understanding what NIB was after in terms of health-conscious younger consumers, we were able to look at our data sets and understand where different geolocations over index in terms of delivering that type of audience segment, then work with Yahoo to overlay their mobility data and being able to activate that at a per-screen, per-hour level allows NIB to have full
0: flexibility and control in delivering messages to those consumers. I want to get to Nick in a sec, but Mitch, can I ask about the creative component now? Because you did have, I think we talked about 20 different messages. What were some of those messages? When was the moment that a certain message would land? And who was your creative partner? or How did you get to the creative sort of sequencing on this? Because it's equally as important as the, as the media and the platform writers to get your messaging right and get it in the right place, right time, as they
1: say. Yeah, and this was certainly one of the most exciting parts about the process. I think it began with discussions with Essence on all of the different capabilities within the programmatic space. So it obviously opens up, you know, time of day changes to messages, different locations. So we took all of those inputs and then worked with our creative team internally. So our brand and content team. And then our creative partner was BWMI, who really helped us to bring the campaign to life. So when I said before, there were particular moments at the gym where we could introduce a message of encouragement. That's exactly what we did at a bus shelter. You know, there was a message that said it's 200 meters to the next one, you know, keep walking to encourage people to, you know, up their step count. We introduced encouragement outside supermarkets for people who are going in to purchase ingredients for dinner. So for us, yeah, we came out with about 20 different messages that were influenced by the site locations, influenced by all of the different inputs that were available to us through Programmatic that, you know, it really became about the flexibility that that gave us. So yeah, 20 different messages. It was a lot of work. And I think probably for us, it really was about bringing everyone together very early on in the planning process to understand what was possible and then, you know, start the creative process and give ourselves enough time to be able to roll it out.
0: Well, I may have misled the audience earlier when I said it might have been dynamic and automated because there's nothing automated about the creative. It was custom built by real
1: humans. Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think... A lot of work went into it from the brand and content team and our agency, but this is where we wanted to head and I think that the results and what we were able to pull off really make it worthwhile. Mitch,
0: so what were the results? What happened? Clearly it must have worked because you wouldn't be talking to me if it hadn't.
1: Yeah, so I think for us, you know, Obviously, it's a mass reach channel, and that's what's really important to us is getting that audience delivery. So knowing that we were able to reach the target audience with all of the data overlays and the postcode placements that were available to us also gave us some re-engagement strategies through our digital mix as well. So we've been able to see through an attribution platform that we have the boost that this activity has given to those in terms of engagement you know, through the funnel. So, yeah, also just the visual look of the campaign, I think, you know, was such a departure for us and a lot more meaningful, I think, in terms of, you know, being able to connect with people with a relevant message for that time of day or that place or where they're at. So, yeah, we're really pleased with, with how so it's So, just going. to be
0: clear then, you did get an increase in awareness of brand amongst those recalcitrant youngies and also you're saying that it
1: did help the lower funnel activity? So, yeah, we've done brand tracking to have a look at how everything is performed throughout that period. But then we also use our attribution dashboard to be able to see how all the different channels play. That helps us from a planning perspective. And I would say that it certainly has added value throughout this period and, you know, something that we'll continue to incorporate into our strategies, you know, for future periods as well.
0: You're not going to tell me any numbers, are you, Mitch? But it's interesting that, (laughs) you know, we have this conversation where you hear the discourse around brand and performance actually can and do work together and feed each other. And in this case, you know, your conversion or your lower funnel performance activity from people, it is working. This is another case, I guess, where we see this happening and there's a lot of conversation around it, but you're actually doing it. And I'm imagining you'll do it again then, will you? 100%.
1: We're going through the process at the moment, actually, of laying down our plans for July to December, and this will 100% feature in that plan.
0: Nick Thomas, as I mentioned in the intro, you think this is a benchmark work. Why is that? Welcome, by the way.
5: Thanks, mate. Excited to be here. Now, I really do think this is benchmark work for the industry. And something we can all take learnings from and actually we should try and blueprint this approach ideally. And it's not just because it's delivering results. I mean, it's great to hear that. I actually think it's the approach that Mitch and Katie have taken with Andrew and Paul. I think for me, it's probably two key things. And the first one is omnichannel approach. And when I hear that, when any planner, investment head, client hears that, I think they just think we're putting all this money into a black box and the machine is just optimizing for the cheapest possible impression person outcome. But to make Omnichannel work, you need a really clear framework in place. And I think hearing Katie and Mitch talk about that framework, like they had so many layers and I'm assuming different KPIs that were attached to each of these. Brand, tactical, reaching the audiences, acquisition. And this was done with these two different partners using this technology and using different data layers. So I think Omnichannel done right in the right way. And I think this is a great example of it allows the consumer to be pushed through the ecosystem and it still allows the craft and the art of creative media planning and strategic work that actually elevates that. I think the second bit for me is like the creative assets. Like, I mean, we've got this amazing technology, but we've run hundreds of campaigns and they've all been really successful. So it's not to talk these down, but in this particular example, all these creative assets, talking to different audiences in the right way, optimizing the asset, to make it work in the contextual environment. I think that is where you get the sweet spot of programmatic. And I think that's what everyone can really take a learning from in this campaign. And I think I know this isn't my podcast, Mac, but my question to Mitch is like, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Did this take a long time? Because I think that's what everyone's going to be worried about listening to this. Like, is this this crazy massive process to take on? Because if it's not, you've nailed it.
1: That's the question of the day there, Mitch. Question of the day. (laughs) Look, there's certainly a lot to it and, you know, we're really lucky at NIB that, you know, we've got dedicated roles that focus on media. We've got dedicated roles that focus on, you know, bringing the campaigns to life through creative and then we've got great agencies. So there's a lot of resource there behind us. But I think once you lay down your strategy and, you know, understand the capabilities within the platform, it really isn't, that difficult. So I would encourage other brands who are, you know, interested in complementing what they're doing with their traditional out of home to consider, you know, what a programmatic tactical layer could do for them. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. At the end of the day, it is still a mass reaching channel. And I think that that is potentially one of the risk areas that you can fall into with all of the possibilities is getting extremely granular. And at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to lose out on that benefit, but it doesn't Need to be overcooked in terms of execution. It just requires a little bit of thought and you know some creativity, I think.
0: I do want to jump in there because there's a question to Katie, Nick, and Andrew about this is you know, essentially talking about bespoke or custom-built creative here. Can the machines do what the humans did in this case? Can dynamic creative programmatically served get the same sort of result, deliver the same sort of messaging and crafting as, you know, a bespoke custom built by, I just love the word human, so I'm going to keep using it as human. Can the machines match the humans, Andrew Gilbert? We're we're both about, Nick and I are both about to jump on this. (laughs) But what I'd first say is let's actually clarify what
3: we're talking about here with dynamic creative because dynamic creative in digital is different to dynamic creative in out of home dynamic, creative, and digital, we are literally optimizing to the characteristics and the data points that we know about you as a person. So we will feed in messages based on a trigger that has happened, you know, you've gone to a supermarket and you've purchased this and then through potentially, yes, let's say like flybys or cartology data or something like that, we have actually personalized the communication on that. When we talk about out of home, we are personalizing based on the actual location time of day, all of these different things. So the concept of dynamic creative in digital will come to out of home in the future. And this is stuff that the likes of VMO and other partners are also starting to work out how that's going to happen right now. So to the question, could the creative have been done in an automated way by machines right now? The answer is no, but in the future, it hopefully will be able to, they will be able to have input into it.
0: There's another layer of that question which you avoided, Andrew, which was that can it I do it as well? Can, it, can the machines do it as well as what's happened here?
3: I'm a big fan of the statement, a machine can never do what a human can do. You can never take a human out of a programmatic conversation or a programmatic campaign because the human adds the value. You know There are elements to it that a machine will never be able to do. And it's true partnership in between the two that drives the overall larger effect.
0: Nick, your take?
3: Yeah, sorry. I think
5: the dynamic bit saves us time. So I think to Andrew's point, as long as you've got the right setup and you've got the right approach and you know what the creative assets that you want, then dynamic can come in and produce them and save a lot of time.
0: But Nick, you can tick on efficiency, but can you tick on
5: efficacy? No. I think the dynamic piece drives efficiencies and that's it. But I think we're setting ourselves up for a future where we can do both. Yeah,
0: completely. Katie, your take?
2: I definitely think it's where I... See it going. I had a digital background, so we used to do the, you know, DCO like digital creative optimization. So it was always dynamic, and you know, the headlines were being fed in by what the impression was being served by. So, like, I can see it going there, but at this stage and where we're at in our journey of programmatic digital at home, it's it's not necessary for us yet. We've got our targeted messages. We know who we want to reach, and where we're at with it in terms of our creative. That's what's working for us at the moment.
0: Yeah, we should have another conversation about it because I fear that we end up getting into a, a state of blandness where it all ticks all the boxes. I've seen some builds of this stuff and essentially the machines know that, well, you're trying to sell a Subaru you know, wagon, you actually need not one bloke with a mountain bike, you need a bloke and a woman because that resonates better and if you have the position there. It's sort of all very modular and formulaic and it's probably right, but it lacks the distinctiveness that can come from, you know, a bit of bespoke. But anyway, that's another completely different conversation. Paul Butler, overall, it sounds like, you know, there's a few people that like VMO. Are you seeing more of this stuff coming through the pipe now, or is this an early bird that has as a standout?
4: Certainly through programmatic, Paul, we're seeing a really exciting future with these types of campaigns. We started the journey two years ago, We're big advocates in this space. We see huge amounts of benefit just around the flexibility and targeting capabilities that programmatic out-of-home affords. Campaigns that are getting a little bit more pre-planned and working closer with online DSPs, we're starting to see a bit more hand-in-glove approaches to audience targeting and campaign delivery between those two worlds and that's certainly where we were really excited about where programmatic outdoor could go we're seeing it accelerate every quarter last year we ran you know campaigns across 200 different advertisers across a whole range of different categories and you know predominantly test and learn certainly something to augment and amplify an existing out of home strategy but the better that we get it around this and the more planning like we've seen that NIB deploy, the actual activation and the facilitation that publishers like VMO have done through the integrations with programmatic platforms just allows that targeting and speed to market like we've never seen before.
0: It certainly sounds like Mitch and NIB write good briefs and that's always been a big problem, right, the client side? Clients that can't write to do shit briefs. Well, Mitch, <laughs> you're a superstar in this case by the sounds of it. I did want to ask though, sort of Nick and Katie, Andrew talked about how... You know, they've been trying to educate the market on some of this omni-channel stuff and what's possible for a couple of years. And Nick, you say this is a benchmark case study. Why is the market taking such a time to get its head around doing these sorts of programs? The talk of it's been around for, you know, eons. What's the delay on this? What's the restraint? Nick, to you first. Setting that framework
5: up sounds really easy. Making sure you've got a KPI by channel and you know how each channel is going to deliver for the different layers of the campaign. But It's actually quite complex thinking. And I think you've got to have the right partners together in a room and have a really honest conversation with how you want it to work. So I think that is something that probably we haven't all nailed just yet. And there is a fear that you start putting money into a black box and it destroys the art and magic of what we do. And I think this is why this is a benchmark because that's not what this is doing. It's bringing smart data to smart systems to optimize to more audience and deliver better results for a brand.
0: Mm. Katie your take on that on why the market's sort of been perhaps slow or to Andrew's point it's taken a bit of education on what's possible
2: I think it sounds scarier than it is when you're initially hearing about all these different platforms, all the different partners you can work with and kind of how you can make it work. It does sound a little bit overwhelming, but when you have a good team and you're working with, you know, we work with NIB as a great client, having Andrew and his team there for support from Yahoo and then obviously working with Paul and his team over at VMO. If you have the right people in the room and you keep those conversations flowing, it is a lot easier than it was. And I do think it kind of goes back to the days of when programmatic first launched and that was kind of when I was starting my media career and programmatic was one of those things where everyone was going oh programmatic digital you're just getting the remnant inventory you're not getting the best inventory and it's those kind of thoughts that make it feel a little bit scarier than it is but you know we're getting great inventory we're choosing where we want to be we're being time targeted in fact we're probably getting better inventory than we would be otherwise because we have these extra layers of data overlay on it for what we need to achieve for this campaign
0: right well i have to say though early days it was shit inventory that started in programmatic I was definitely there when it was shit, I can tell you. That was a long time ago. There was a long time ago. Look at me. I'm a young recalcitrant health shopper. So listen, we're going to wrap this up with a final take from all of you on what the next 12 months looks like, at least for omni-channel media programs, the biggest learnings from each of you, and some watchouts to make something like this work. Andrew, to you first, in terms of the next 12 months, what do you see coming? What do you see happening?
3: It's probably going to be what we've seen in the last six months or so already. And it all comes down to mobility at the end of the day. You can't 100% say that you know where your consumer is going to be these days. You know, their daily patterns, their weekly patterns, monthly patterns are completely different. And that's why it's really, really important to make sure that the data you are using for planning and the data you are using for targeting is really, really trusted and you understand where all of that's coming from. And that's what's going to enable you to reach them when they're actually ready to actually consume that message that you're trying to get out there. So for the next 12 months, it'll be brands continuing to try to learn and understand where are their consumers right now. And it'll be technology partners like Yahoo trying to work with them to try and help them understand that at the same time.
0: Mitch, what's your take? You did say you're doing it again. You're going to write another good brief. I want to see it next time. I'll learn something. But in the next 12 months, learnings for you and your team and the market, I guess, your peers, your marketing peers.
1: So, look, we'll continue to run both, you know, our traditional and programmatic out of home into the next period. I think for us, we'll continue to look at different ways that we can treat it creatively. So, that's really exciting for us. My biggest watch out and what I go back to our business to challenge them with all the time is just because you can get super granular, don't get too bogged down in that. So that's probably my biggest watch out with anyone who's thinking of taking this approach, still consider, you know, pick the moments where you think that it can be most meaningful for, you know, a large enough audience for it to be impactful. It's a good point. And so when you talk about
0: getting super granular, where does it flip over to too granular for an NIB case? So can you give an example of where you you drill down too much in something? Is it in the targeting? Where is it
1: that you're talking about this granularity? I think it's in terms of the messaging and like the creative execution. If you narrow it down and you get too specific, I think that you'll end up talking to too small an audience for it to play the role that it really is intended to. So that's where I would offer that caution. Got it.
0: Katie, next 12 months in terms of watchouts and learnings, well, learnings from this effort and watchouts the next 12 months for the market, what do you think?
2: Yep. Yeah, so I guess learnings from this side of things is that we are going to have so many rich audience learnings from this. The amazing thing about working on the DSP is the level of reporting that we can get in terms of where we're delivering, and that's just going to be able to inform our audience strategy going into the next half. So as Mitch mentioned, we are doing our planning at the moment for July to December, and that data is already going in there and in informing our strategy across our programmatic digital out of home. In terms of our biggest watch out or the biggest learning from the half would be get everyone involved as soon as possible. So have those meetings, whether it's a video call or you're getting everyone in the room with the creative agency, with the client, have everyone together. And if you can align on those conversations from the start, what you're all trying to achieve and go on that journey together, that's going to be the key to success.
0: Nick, next 12 months for you, learnings from this and watch outs. And you know, I guess you'll be replicating this somehow. I hope to. I think the biggest watch
5: out for me is that make sure we don't double down too much. Like We need to make sure that this complements what we're already doing. This can't do everything, but it can really supercharge and complement what we already do within our campaigns. And I'm going to agree with Katie, I think the learning is don't underestimate the power of getting everyone in the room together and being honest and having a frank conversation setting this up.
0: Mm, good. Um, Mitch, can I just ask, has this shifted your budget mix? Are you going to do something different with your budgets because of this?
1: To an extent, yes. I mean, we've always invested in out-of-home, and so, you know, this does sit in there, but it's created some additional opportunities which has, I guess, you know, freed up a little bit of test budget for us to try some things out. So short answer is yes, to an extent. Right.
0: And will it come from other parts of the digital? So I'm just interested in where the tweaks come. Is it other parts of the digital media sector? Does it come from other parts of of out-of-home? Nick, stop laughing. What are you laughing
2: for?
1: (laughs) I think the answer to that is probably a bit of both, depending on the execution and how we're going to treat it. Okay. I will stop
0: there because I can keep drilling, but I won't. Paul, in terms of the final takeout for, you know, the learnings for you and what the next 12 months looks like, what are you seeing?
4: I really, I mean, I agree with Mitch. I think we should never negate the benefits of outdoor in terms of a mass reach channel. And, you know, by weaving in some of the smarts and audience targeting capabilities that we use for this campaign, what we get is you know, mass targeted reach, which is really important for delivering audience and brand opportunities for particular campaigns. I think we're still at a stage which is what this podcast is great is to start to surface what the benefits are for using programmatic for advertisers and campaigns. And more discussions like these and more education is required, I think, to really bring that to life. The only other thing I will mention is that dynamic creative optimization is coming, certainly from a VMO perspective. We are well down the, the track on getting that to a beta version for testing in the first half. So, again, never will replace the job of creative, but certainly will help to further facilitate speed to market and efficiencies like programmatic as a, as a platform is delivering for outdoor and clients.
0: Well, I want to get into that debate another time. I think that's a really fascinating one. I've got lots of questions around it. The experts can put me back in my box, but I do have some reservations and they should be uh, addressed and I should be stood down for my challenging questions. How about that? But, hey, listen, Mitch Lehman, uh, Paul Butler, Katie Rooney, Andrew Gilbert, Nick Thomas, uh, really interesting conversation. I learned some stuff and it's really, really helpful. So thanks for joining. Stay safe and we'll loop around in the next campaign, Mitch, to talk through your brief. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free.
3: Listener.